All right, all right. Welcome into the Jesus Follower. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Andrew. Hello, all of you. Good to be with you again this week. Looking forward to spending some time in the Word again together. Yes, and uh, we've been talking before we were recording today, and we are going to delve, dive into the abyss today. <laughs> um, literally, quite literally. Yes, well, we hope to be practical. We This is based off of questions we've gotten from people at our church, and I'm sure, um, listener, if you're not uh, at our church here in Fairfield, uh, you've probably had this question as well, um, and it's multifaceted. I think it, people ask it different ways, depending on what experiences they've had. what background it's kind of a big web like we were talking about uh just your perspective on this but in the broad topic of spiritual warfare in the life of a christian so there are a lot of different different traditions on this a lot of different interpretations of scripture and of of life yeah um so daniel i just I don't know how to specifically ask a question to get us going, but the different questions have kind of boiled down to this idea of how does or what role does the devil play in our lives? Can demons control us if we're a Christian? How should we view the the demonic in terms of our Christian life and and experiences that we have that might point that direction? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, and that's what we, you know, it's kind of a big question. We've been kind of talking about it. Sometimes I feel like when we talk about it before, it makes it harder when we do, <laughs> like we seem to get, I know. if we just go, we're like, oh, okay. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. We hear a lot here that, you know, the devil, uh, the devil makes uh, folks do this or that, or, you know, he's just playing games with you. And, uh, and so through all those different comments and questions, we're trying to just be responsible with the word of God and and identify, okay, what what is the devil doing? What does he do? How does he operate? And kind of get a sense of, of that so that we can be prepared. You know, I was blessed to be in the military and thinking about battle plan and battle, battle posture, you know, is always is something that floats around in my head when I hear stuff about the enemy. And, and you know, one of the, the beginning passages, I guess, there's multiple, multiple places to go because spiritual warfare is definitely something that is in Scripture. But Ephesians 6.12, Paul identifies for us, I think, is a, a good beginning, a good foundation. Uh, he identifies for us where the battle is at. And that was one of the things in the military as we were preparing missions. We always wanted to know where the enemy was at. We wanted to know what capabilities the enemy had, which is kind of what we're doing today. What capabilities the enemy had, how was he going to attack and have good intel on those kind of things so that all of our troops could be ready for whatever those attacks may be. So Paul says this, the word of God says this in Ephesians 6, 12. Uh, well, we'll go to 11 or 10, excuse me, 10, 11, and 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, in verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Mm. 
So, so the Bible is, is very faithful in everything and is very faithful to identify for us what realm the battle is really being fought in. You know, a lot of times we feel like that it is in the fleshly, physical realm because that's what we see. But there's a, there's a warfare that's going on in the, in the spiritual realm as well. And there's an enemy that does attack, I think, and that does want to get the children of God to trip up, that does implant his people at times in, in the, in the area where God is really moving to to try to disrupt. I mean, I think that those are all things that the enemy does. And and one of the greatest examples um, is Matthew four, I think to see how, in what way the enemy does attack. And, uh, but, but you, you ask a component that, you know, when it comes to being possessed, I think, I don't know if you said that or not, or if that's what we talked about before. I think I did, but can the enemy possess a child of God? And the answer that I, according to what I believe, believe the scripture to teach my answer would be no that yeah, the that the enemy cannot directly possess because the spirit of god dwells in the child of god and obviously the enemy has no place there he wouldn't stand a chance so i definitely don't think that that's the case and so mm-hmm. uh, you know just to just to clarify on that point kind of bring us to the place of where the battle is fought. Um, and so before I move into Matthew four, do you have any, any comments that you want to make on that, Andrew, anything that any direction you're going that you would like to lead us in before I, I go to another place. How about you go to Matthew four first? Okay. And then I can chime in after that. Okay. Okay. So in Matthew four, you all probably remember this in Matthew four, we see that, uh, there's, there is an enemy attack on, um, the, the greatest savior of the world. And which it seems like for you and I would be kind of a pointless attack. You're not going to beat Jesus. He's the son of God. I mean, you don't stand a chance, but nonetheless, if anything, it shows us that the enemy's still going to try, right? I mean, even though you may be strong in your faith and even with Paul, and Peter and a lot of the great apostles, I think the enemy still tried. I think he still tries to get you to fall and fail and to disrupt what God's going to do. So Jesus, of course, being the son of God, going to pay the price for the world. Naturally, he was going to attack you. But it's interesting as you look at the way the enemy attacks, the way the enemy attacks is is through deception, through uh, misquoting, misinterpretation of scripture. Um, It's it's. It's hard sometimes if you and I are not living in the word, living in the spirit. Sometimes it may even be said that it could be hard for us to identify what those attacks are because it's almost clouded in good things like good concepts, a component of scripture. So it, it makes it really muddy sometimes. Well, let's just look. Jesus has led into the it says in Matthew 4, 1, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on the bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So one of the areas, um, and First John talks about areas that we find temptation. I'll just reference this. I think it goes very well with, I've got so many places in Scripture, Mark, but very, very well with Matthew 4. Um, if I can find it real quickly here, it talks about um, 
In verse number 15 of 1 John 2, it says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. So three different categories there in 1 John chapter 2, the, the, the lust of the flesh being one and fleshly after you've been in the wilderness for 40 days, your desire in your flesh is going to be to eat. So, you know, as, as, as you see the enemy come, I guess for me, it's just like, well, that's a natural tendency. That's a natural temptation. Of course, logically, any of us would say, all right, it's been 40 days or, or you know, I've fasted 40 days. Okay. What's the harm in eating? Uh, and so, you, you know, you, you look at, at the way that he approaches at the time frame that the enemy approaches and you see that it's at a time where physically the, the savior may have been weak because he hadn't been eating for 40 days. So spiritually, he was incredibly strong and he, he fought the enemy with the sword of the spirit, which is the only offensive piece of the armor of God. And he used the sword of the spirit to combat the enemy. Uh, but but he but he first comes in with this kind of what I would say could be identified as the lust of the flesh. His desire to satisfy the need of his flesh was bread. And so we would look at that in my mind, I would say, okay, well, that doesn't seem like a bad thing. You know, if you're the son of God, you can easily turn rock into bread. You can turn anything you want to into bread. What's the harm in that? It's been 40 days. You've spent time with God, um, but, but Jesus wasn't having any of it. So he says, man shall not live by bread alone. The second thing it says in verse five, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you. All right. So the second thing, throw yourself down, basically test God. See if God will, will spare you, will save you from this tragedy. If you throw yourself off. Right. And in that it's, a, it's very interesting. He even co he quotes scripture, uh, uh, a piece of, of scripture now, and, and he quotes the scripture out of context. And so again, it goes back to this need for us to know the word, to be with the father, because the enemy knows the scripture probably. And we've probably heard this cliche state statement being made all growing up, especially if you grew up in church, knows the scripture better than, than we do. Uh, and mm -hmm. so he takes the scripture out of context and he says, Hey, God says, you know, he'll take care of you. You can do this. It's no big deal. And Jesus responds again, with the word of God, an accurate interpretation and of the word of God on, uh, on their, or it, the enemy continues on their hands. They will rear you up so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord, your God to the test. Uh, so continual combating with scripture that Jesus uses, but we see the tactics of the enemy. Now, if we're honest about this, if the enemy were to come up to us and say the same thing and use the scripture in the same way, how many of us would be deceived? If the enemy comes up and he uses scripture to us today, do we know scripture well enough to be able to say that's not in context? That's not what that means. And to be able to stand against those attacks the enemy may bring to us by manipulating and wanting us to compromise the scripture of the living God. It's a valid question, I think, because I think that's what we see the enemy. That's a way that he's attacking in our world today. 
taken yeah. away from scripture, trying to add to, trying to manipulate, trying to compromise, water down. I mean, all these different variations of scripture. I'm not talking about specifically the interpretation or the translations. I'm just talking about the way that we use scripture to either support what we want to do, even though it may not be godly or to cause us to go to a completely wrong direction. Then one more, and then I'll, I'll let you, uh, I'm sure you're just about to <laughs> overflow with comments here. So, so let's verse eight, last thing. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord, your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So perhaps you would say that last one is the easiest one. Maybe, you know, of course you don't bow down. You know, the devil doesn't own all these things. But what what you find in it is this, I think, is that a lot of the times it's not really the big blatant things that he's coming at Jesus with. It's, 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 it's not, it's just simply, Hey, just eat, man. You've been fasting. You're hungry. Listen, God will take care of you. You can do what you want to do. Throw yourself off. You trust. If you trust God, know that he'll take care of you when you do that. I mean, it's not like these big sins that we think about in the world today as we classify them as big. It's, it's subtle things. It's deceitful things. It's taking the word out of context because when you do it a little bit, it really can change a lot of your theology and your doctrine moving from that point forward. So if he can just get you to change a little bit, um, and it, it kind of goes lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and pride of life, you know, it, it kind of goes right with that first John two, I think those categories of sin that we battle against. So I think it gives us, I guess in my mind, it gives us a really great example of some of the ways that the enemy may try to attack the followers of God. So absolutely. I think for me, this underscores the importance and the utmost importance at that of good theology and right belief, because both Satan and us have the same scripture. And we yeah. can see that here. And yeah. Satan knows that God exists. And the, it, that's what the scripture says, that the demons uh, believe essentially. And but there's not a belief, a saving faith there. There's a, a disconnect and we can easily get to the same spot, especially if we are Christians, but especially if we're not, and we're trying to, you know, look at the world and try and figure out a worldview and saving faith is crucial to proper belief and proper belief is crucial to good spiritual warfare. Um, I, I, an example of this is, is the cross and the purpose of it in Christ, but I've been reading this book by uh, Jared Wilson. He's a professor at Midwestern uh, Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Kansas City. It's called The Gospel According to Satan and uh, just lists different lies in the chapters of what people, you know, say popular theology. And, and one of them essentially was that the, I forget what the chapter was called, but essentially it was. Uh, discussing the idea that a lot of people have today that the cross, the ultimate purpose of it was not for penal substitution. What we say, penal substitutionary yeah, yeah. atonement, that Christ died for our sins and that the blood of Christ pays for our sins. And that because of Christ's blood being shed, as talked about in the Old Testament, 
we can have salvation. People push back against that in liberal theological circles and say, point to other other aspects of the atonement, which are very real. They talk about like Christus Victor is one, that Christ uh, defeated death and defeated sin, but didn't necessarily, it wasn't a substitutionary atonement for our sin. It was just a victor- victory over death and and sin in general. That's a very vague interpretation. There's others like moral exemplar that he, it was an example for us to do that. Plenty or a, a couple more others that are common, uh, you know, aspects of the cross. And those all are true. But if you take those, for instance, at the expense of penal substitutionary atonement, yeah. you're taking scripture and then you're you, you have to twist it for your own advantage in that sense. And he goes into that in that chapter. But it's so crucial. I think we can deceive ourselves into saying, okay, we have to know scripture. And if we memorize the whole thing and we know it, then it's good. And that is most of it, right? (laughs) But if we don't have right belief, we don't have that right understanding that things like the blood of Christ cleanses our sin and the gospel that God or Jesus was lived a perfect life on earth and he was incarnate as perfectly God and perfectly man, a hundred percent of both those things, while they are written out in scripture that we believe there are other people who push back against that. And ultimately uh, that being the the devil. So I was going to go to another illustration of the, uh, I mentioned last week, but Laura and I went to uh, Universal Orlando. We love theme parks. I love theming and it's really fun. But there's this one um, ride in there that was based on the uh, the Simpsons, the show. Oh, yeah. And it's like this big screen and you sit in this, uh, you know, little mover and it's as if you were moving, but it's on the screen and something about it. We didn't write it this time because the first time we went and wrote it, it just wrecked me. It made me so sick, like oh. motion sick <laughs> oh, no. because like the motions didn't match up with what was on the screen or something within me. I was a wreck for the rest of the day. That's what Satan tries to do with us. I think spiritually in this is that with a lot of these things, I think back to Genesis three, where he did it originally, that is his playbook is that he's going to make things topsy turvy in our life. We're not, he's going to make us feel bad, make it unsure. He's going to say, did God really say that? Did this really happen? The scripture does say this. So that gives you freedom to do this. It could happen in all sorts of ways and it could feel as if if we don't have that proper grounding that we are just that that we're either possessed by a demon or that we're being attacked endlessly and that we resort to these things because that they're they seem very plausible but yet scripture is here it's the it's the thing that keeps us grounded yeah and that proper belief within that of knowing christ and not just knowing the words because satan knows the words but he does not know Christ, right? right? Right. He does not know what it means to have life. So we have to take that step in that as well. But we have to, in this discussion, base our logic, based our thinking, not on what we feel, because Satan's going to mess with that all the time. And he's going to point to that first and say, this trumps what scripture says, because it's either outdated or doesn't apply to what your situation is or whatever. He's going to to tell you that. But if we truly believe that second Timothy 
3.16, right? All scripture is given yeah. by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. If we believe that it's inerrant, that's another doctrine, that it's all cohesive and that it's from the mouth of God. So if it's from the mouth of God, then it's perfect because God is perfect. Yeah. If we hold to these things, then it's going to really clear out a lot of the mystery that we feel and that we hear from the culture in terms of the spiritual warfare and, uh, you know, demon possession and these things are real, but we can have a coherent thought on them and they don't have to be this thing that, you know, like the exorcist, these horror movies that yeah. like, okay, this is too much for us to bear. Yeah. You know, God's not given us a spirit of fear. And this, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I feel like we often approach this from a spirit of fear yeah. because we don't have a good idea of what demons are or yeah. what, what that role of the place in our life, but yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and God, God is incredibly faithful. I mean, I think that's, that's the cool thing to see about the, well, one of the many cool things, but he talks yeah. a lot about it. I mean, whether it's Jesus casting out demons or Jesus being tempted or uh, what Peter says, I thought of the passage that said, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, you know, but it begins with that submission to God, which is submission to his word and to his way and to his will. Yeah. Um, and, and that connection with God is what gives you, gives you victory over the enemy um, so that you don't, you don't have to live in fear, even though attack may come there's victory in God and 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 being in his presence and being a child of his you know I, I think um, uh, and we talked about this a little bit first Peter 5 is a place that I go and again there's there's a lot there's so much in here about this as if to say God saying listen I want I want this to be clear for you I want you to be, I want it to be clear where your battles are how the enemy attacks I want you to be prepared as much as possible to know that you have to lean on me for the victory in these things but he gives just kind of the, the the way that the enemy even approaches. I think he says in in First Peter five. Uh, we'll we'll go ahead and start at verse number six. It says, "Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Yeah. Be of sober mind, be of sober spirit." Now it's interesting. Verse seven, casting all your anxiety. Uh, and, anxiety on him because he cares for you. So it's always just like, um, like laying it all down to him, like submitting, humbling yourself to him, but be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Now, being on the alert and being afraid is not the same thing. You know, I think, you know, you can be on the alert, but not in a fearful way, just in a in a readied status, like uh, be on the alert. And that's something that the Bible talks about a lot, too, that we are to be on the alert. And, and again, I go back to just being missional minded, you know, knowing what knowing what the battle is, knowing that that's the reality, knowing that Christ is coming again and just being alert, being ready, being active for him because you're uh, you're alert and in an alert status your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour but resist him firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world uh, so, so there's a couple things and we talked about that. You know, what does he do? Well, a lot of times what we have a tendency to do, which I think there are things that we can do Sometimes, if I may say, this may not come out right, but that can make us more prone for to a 
to be attacked uh, almost. You know, we we separate yeah. ourselves from just like when you think of the animal kingdom, when God uses illustrations to relate it in a way that we can understand. You know, you think about just practically how does a lion attack? Well, the lion is going to attack those that are sick, those that are weak, those that are, that are separated from the herd. And what is one of our first tendencies whenever we get upset, frustrated, mad? We separate ourselves. We 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 go get away from other believers. Sometimes we even get upset with God and we don't read his word and we don't spend time in prayer. We we become this recluse and we 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 just end up sinking into ourselves. And it's like, no, that's not that's what the enemy would want you to do. But that's not what we should do. You know, he says, resist him firm in your faith. So, again, it is that staying solid and staying rooted in your faith, staying rooted and founded in God, where victory is found, not in our own ability. And so I, to me, that brings a lot of clarity. You know, of course, it's our tendency. Of course, that's that's what what does the lion do in the pride of lions when they want they try to separate so they try to move one individual wildebeest or whatever away from the rest of the herd uh, because that's an easier target at that point. And so yes. we should say to ourselves, if we're mindful of that, say, listen, I know this is what I feel like is being I'm being driven to. But that's not where you want to be. Another illustration for that is, of course, fire. You know, if a, if a small coal is taken away from the flame, then all of a sudden it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until eventually it's cold and you can handle it. Um, and so there, there's a lot of things, you know, the Bible talks about not forsaking the, the assembling together of ourselves as the manner of some is. And, and so there's a lot of things that, that wants to draw us out. But I think God says you need to you need to lean in, not be drawn away, but lean in, lean in, lean into God, lean into his his church, lean into his spirit, you know, lean in constantly, stay in firm in the faith and resist. So that just helps me to kind of get an understanding of what the enemy tactics may be. Um, and again, with Jesus, he came to Jesus, not when he was around everybody else, but when he was on his own fasting, trying to draw near to God. Right. Right. Uh, right. And, and so I think it's just it's just the way the enemy attacks a lot of times. It is. You did mention and I, I think it's very true. You said uh, I forget exactly how I said it, but that uh, we can do things that don't necessarily help the situation. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. There is that role that our sin nature plays in this. And yeah. I think often in these discussions that gets discounted a whole lot. Yeah. Because it's much easier probably and maybe it's just cynical of me, but to say that I'm being attacked from the outside, then I have a problem on the inside yeah. that I need to deal with. But I even think of this brings great great clarity to me, just the biblical theological look at just the story of uh, Satan and his attacks and sin and just it starts in Genesis three. Obviously, I think this would be helpful to read because it brings out a lot that in Scripture there there's uh, conflict started here that gives a clear picture that further illustrates what you're saying. In three uh, verse one, it says, "Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made." We see that in the Matthew four, right? The story of him tempting Jesus, very. Uh, is, you know, crafty. He said to the woman, God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. 
And they said, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. She also gave some of the fruit to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then it goes on from there. The, they're both their eyes were opened and uh, that rebellion happened then. But contrary to what, you know, what you might have heard, that sin was not merely disobeying God. Like it wasn't the action itself that was sin. The root of that is in what it's talking about here through verse uh Verse six, the woman saw that the tree was good for food, even though they had a ton of food there, you know, infinite amount. God's perfect creation is there. That looked especially good. It was delightful to look at and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom as Mm -hmm. if for one, God wouldn't give it to him. But then later we see, you know, Proverbs nine talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So that's where really the lie is. And what they choose to believe there, Adam and Eve, uh, is that the, you know, the, the best well for wisdom is at that tree yeah. because God's holding it back from them. So you see that start to unravel. And in the same way, a lot of this conversation and the warfare that you might be experiencing, we don't doubt for one second that it's real. We've right, heard right. stories and it's not, I feel like sometimes us Baptists tend to discount these things. There's no need to. Yeah. But in, in some way, we might be guilty of in these conversations of saying, OK, these demons are really attacking me. Meanwhile, you have secret sin in your yeah. life. You're yeah. not confessing your sin. And, uh, you know, that's that's in our flesh. We're all sinners. And that's where it goes on from this is that uh, God promises a savior and a, a redeemer. And Adam and Eve have a kid and they're like, great. You know, this is going to be he murders his brother. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we're born. No into sin. Yeah. So there's this element where we're born onto the devil's team. Yeah. The prince of the power of the air talks about and the ruler of this world as the, the scripture says. So that that might be the case. It's it's worth bringing into it is that uh the the wisdom doesn't come in this from understanding demons and the way demons work and fighting against them, uh, you know, diving into that well, because scripturally, I think firmly that you can dive as deep as you want into that well, and you'll never find the end. That's a false gospel of saying that, okay, we're to fight the devil. We need to study him and, you know, go attack him. Jesus has already done that. What the true hope is and how that relates to our sin is you know, believing things like the Holy Spirit, we talked about that yeah. earlier, lives inside of us. Yeah. And that just things like that, even like you can feel as if there's a demon inside of you. But if God's inside of you, then he's not inside of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? These yeah. things can be simple. And God is gracious in that to forgive us of our sin. But uh, we have to be careful. We're not just evading uh, what we don't want to face in one way or another by, you know, claiming not saying that anybody's doing that, but claiming demon possession, demon influence. Yeah. That might be 
something in there. And I, and I do think, I think that's another area, you know, you don't, we don't want to mistake our consequences for our actions, for the devil's coming after us, you know, or, or the judgment that we may experience because of our disobedience, you know, even conviction of sin. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and and it's easy. I mean, it can be easy done sometimes. And, and I'm not, like you said, I'm not saying, and it's not the claim that we're making. It's just, it's just understanding the different distinctions, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm always at the place. I don't want to give the devil more credit than he, he, He's he's due because a lot of times it's easy for us to say, oh, well, that's the uh, that's the devil that's done that. It's like, well, hold it. You know, if we if we are like you said, if you have secret sin that you are not repenting of, then, you know, it might be a consequence for the secret sin that remains in your life. And we have to we have to understand that. And, you know, even in Genesis three, I think it's another it just you know, the scripture just supports itself so well. God is just so incredible to reveal us, reveal it to us. But even, you know, just just the way the enemy comes along and, and tries to to get her to doubt what God said, you know, God gave a clear command. She even in herself, he says, don't eat from it or touch it. Uh, and that's not exactly how that command went. Either. So there's so yeah. many things you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to take what God's word says for just the way that God said his word. And I think oftentimes we're, we're in a season now where we're looking at a prophet, uh, the prophet Isaiah. Um, and I just think about this constantly that, you know, God, you know, when he gave his word to the prophet, it wasn't for in, in the prophet's interpretation. It wasn't for the prophet didn't have freedom to change, manipulate, add a little here, take a little away here. That was not his goal. That wasn't his mission. His mission was to tell the people exactly how God said it. And I think that that when we talk about the word of God and studying the word, we have to be careful to do that. We sometimes want to give ourselves an allowance to severe and to make some adjustments, to make some turns, to make some... Uh, to, to give some leeway because this was a different time than we're living in now. And we just can't do that. We can't assume that God in the word didn't account for the fact that there would be people living thousands of years later, that would be a different time, a different culture. And that that would have just have taken him by surprise because that's yeah. just simply not the way that it works. Yeah. That's not who God is. God knows. And, and so we have to be careful. I think even in sharing Genesis three, that we are responsible and good students, disciples of the word ourselves and of the Savior in that we are taking God for what he says and not playing the game that we start to add and manipulate. Even little pieces sometimes can have a detrimental effect, I think. Yes, yes, that's so important. I did want to add also, uh, not all of that demonic influence is because of sin. And that is the case too. You might... I don't know. There's probably millions of different circumstances as there are millions of different uh, kinds of people. Um, but especially, I, you know, we've I've heard stories in overseas of where uh, these things happen, uh, maybe more than here for one reason or another. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's because of sin. I, I think of John uh, chapter nine. We also can look at the book, book of Job as an obvious example. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh John chapter nine. Let me just read this. Start in verse one. As yeah. he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his pa- this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus answered, This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, 
I am in the world. I am the light of the world. Um, that's, it, it's so important to point that out and to know that if if and when really you're in that situation, God is still faithful within that, just as he was to this man. He cleared him, uh, you know, made him not blind anymore. He could see yeah, after this. Yeah. And in, in Job, it might look different in your situation. Now God resolves that, but yeah. he will. And if not on this earth, then in glory one day. And we still have to within that through his word, through, uh, you know, trusted other perspectives on it, uh, on his word. But, through him speaking to you know that your circumstances are not necessarily a one-to-one yeah maybe even ever a one-to-one representation of how god views you how he loves you how he cares about you and what his plan is in your life i think we can ease so easily lose hope and that goes back to our sinful nature yeah but even apart from that to say as 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 Job did, like in that spirit of lament, like, I don't know why this is happening. God, yeah. why, what are you, what are you doing? What's the purpose? Not out of the sense of unbelief, but just of crying out to God. And that's a biblical place to be. There's a lot of Psalms of lament and yeah. that's a, 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 a tough place to be. But in that we see God's refinement and his, as being closer to you. I think I know in my life, those circumstances are, or that that is true that you, when you're in those circumstances, I wouldn't have been closer to God today or then I wouldn't be as close to him if not for those circumstances or even my sin really, which shows his wonderful sovereignty, his providence. We don't have to explain that away um, for one reason or another. He has, the best in mind and in action for us because he loves us perfectly. That extends everywhere that we could possibly imagine and think. So, you know, we were talking before, we don't have to say, you know, things like I'm in hell on earth, you know, because we will never, if we're in Christ, be in hell on yeah, earth. Yeah, hell yeah. is not just place where bad things happen it's the wrath of god yeah. eternally the wrath of god that was pulled out f- poured out fully on christ on the cross yeah. and christ the the strongest of us all you know yeah. said essentially if there's any other way then please let it be that way you know it was scary even he was sweating like drops of blood yeah. even to jesus so that the wrath and we see that plenty of times in scripture the the gravity of that wrath and the cross and the blood and Christ, all these things, it all plays together. We don't have to, that's where the blood and the cross, that's how things like demons and the devil, although powerful, they lose their scariness only in light of that. That's right. Or else they would overtake us because they do in our sin. But when God is in it, there, there's there's no match, so we can't uh, discount God's goodness when we're in that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a good way to to kind of sum up, uh, I, you know, we when we were talking about this before, it was kind of like a I feel like a a mad dash. There's so many things to to talk about when it comes to this, and yeah. uh, you know, I think that uh, the main thing that that you see consistently in Scripture is um, at the foundation, especially for the child of God or for anyone really, that victory over these these forces is found in God, is found in His Word, is found in a relationship with Him. Uh, a close
close walk with him, a leaning into him, a submission to him. The Bible is very clear that that it that it is only in him that we have that victory. And glory to God, we can have a relationship with him. We can be reconciled with him because of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has already paid that price for us. And we find redemption, the forgiveness of sins um, in Jesus. And so we, we don't have to, because of those things, we don't have to live in fear. Not that it won't happen, but that um, we have victory over that in Christ. And, and if that attack comes, we lean heavier into him and the victory is found in him. And we can find the ability to resist, uh, the ability to overcome in his power and his strength. And so uh, are there forces of darkness in the world? Absolutely, there are. Are, is, are there yeah. attacks? Are there wrestlings? Yeah, of course there are. But the victory is found in the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Like we don't have to walk around and be afraid. We yes. just need to keep our focus on him and, and, and our walk in him, you know, that John 15, uh, abiding in him, staying right where he is because he is the place of victory. Um, and, and so, um, you know, it's just so amazing that God says, okay, the enemy does attack. This is kind of how he does attack. But man, if we, if we will just lean into God and we will find the victory over those attacks in his presence, you know, in that greatness yes. of his light and glory, it just makes all the difference. So we yeah. can have great confidence confidence there. Absolutely. I think what can it could do even just thinking about in our setting is remove that uh I've heard it said in, in a podcast I was listening to that hermeneutic of suspicion, right? Yeah, there yeah, always has yeah. to be this uh okay, but what's really happening underneath yeah. the surface like uh you know that we talk about like the deep state or uh oh, yeah. you know like th- there's these things happening that we don't know about, but we have to we have to be careful with if God's ultimately powerful in our lives, we don't have to turn a blind eye to any sin that's happening, that's right. but we can rest. Yeah. We can be at peace, even though those things are happening. It's it's great. I, uh, I had to think about there's always this discussion about like church music, right? We don't have to spit. We've gone long enough, but um, we're singing a song at uh, Easter. It's super powerful. This great uh melody that just sings directly from Isaiah six. Yeah. I saw the Lord seated on his throne and it's just, uh, I love the song, but the way I originally found it, it was uh, adapted from the original songwriter by uh, Jesus image. The pastor of Jesus image is a, uh, the you know the son-in-law or something of a prosperity gospel preacher oh okay and there's there's a close connection there so i had to think uh okay we think through that again but it's like right out of isaiah 6 yeah like there's yeah. no deviation from the scripture glory be to god yeah it's yeah. a beautiful piece of art so we don't have to in that circumstance just because off the top of my head say something like uh, you know, there's there's something evil in the music itself, you yeah, know, or yeah, something yeah. that we can't see that we have to pay attention to because it comes from this uh, source that's otherwise we wouldn't really align with. Yeah, you know, yeah. but we don't have to do that because God's word is true. He's faithful yeah. to us. And uh, that pervades to most every area that gives us like you know, feasible peace yeah. uh, that we can experience. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, and then, you know, the closer you walk with God too. last thing, I know we've been going for a minute, but uh, the closer you walk with God too, the more that you're going to be, uh, that your sin's going to be exposed. Uh, and so the more it's going to take away that question, well, what is this? Because you, as your yeah. sin is exposed, you repent of that sin and you turn away from it. And, um, and we got to be honest about that too. We can't allow those things to be in our hidden places in our life and then think, well, 
well, God may not see, you know, or, or live under that assumption that God doesn't see and he's not going to respond. But but just be honest before the father, too. And that's important. And the closer you get to him, the more that that's going to take place, too. Oh, man, that's another thing that feels horrible when you're experiencing it. Like uh, uh, David said, it's either in the it's in a psalm about the time of you know, Bathsheba's like your, your, uh, your hand weighed heavy on me. Yeah. Uh, talking about that, but that's evidence even within that of your security in Christ yeah. because he's working you said so my, my power is made perfect in your weakness, Yeah, but we have to be at that place of weakness. So that's the man It humbles me because I'm yeah. so prideful so often. And that manifests itself in thinking I'm strong enough for ABC and D. Yeah. We don't have to be. Yeah, that's a continual reminder. Yeah, real blessing. Hopefully this has brought some clarity to you. I mean, I know even as you listen, there's a whole lot of different things. You know, Andrew mentioned Job. Job is probably a no brainer spot that we didn't even think about. Until the yeah. end. No, <laughs> but, but so many times, I mean, as you think about what the spiritual warfare looks like, what do these attacks look like? You know, the Bible does provide an incredible amount of clarity. And maybe there's some things that stick out to your mind other than Job. And you just make a comment about it. You know, here's a here's a reference. Here's another reference. We can never have really too many biblical references for context on this. And so feel free to make comments and, and put those references up. We would greatly appreciate it. And, and some of the listeners would, would could greatly be um, encouraged and, uh, and helped by those references as well. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you so much for joining us. I think we'll have to at least do something else with this next week. I don't know. I feel like we're just starting to get into it. It is yeah. true about talking beforehand yeah. <laughs> all in my head, but uh, it just, our, our heart in this is still discipleship. That's the one thing I wanted to mention is that this is a crucial part of following Jesus. This all is. So don't think, I know it's a different subject than we have been, but I hope we've illustrated at least a little through the spirit, how this is a logical step forward and following Jesus, sure, but in that idea of discipleship of, yeah. okay, how do we encourage others in this and make disciples? It is all in that truth of the cross and yeah. the resurrection and the ascension. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's all been right. great to be with you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> Taking a deep breath. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> thank you so much. I'll say the last word. Have a good day. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.